You're tuned into the Chug LLP's podcast. We are a full-service legal, immigration, and tax firm with a global outlook. We partner with businesses to deliver innovative, customized solutions to their most pressing challenges. Join us as we tackle some pertinent issues. You're tuned into the Chug LLP's podcast. We are a full-service legal, immigration, and tax firm with a global outlook. We partner with businesses to deliver innovative, customized solutions to their most pressing challenges. Join us as we tackle some pertinent issues. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Thursday's Live with Chug. Each week, we cover a, a different topic related to individuals and businesses. My name is Jamin Chavda. I'm a partner and attorney based in our Atlanta, Georgia office. As you may know, Chug LLP is a full-service legal accounting and immigration firm that serves businesses across the United States, India, and around the world. Today, we have an interesting topic that covers the basics about a foreign company and how it can set up a branch in the United States. This topic is relevant for those of you that wish to expand operations into the U.S. or potentially start a company as a non-U.S. resident. We'll cover the differences of the two main types of entities that you could potentially incorporate, where you can incorporate, and the basics of what you need to start operations. Uh, depending on the, the method of, uh, of your joining, um, you'll have a chat box there towards the, to the bottom. Feel free to add your questions there at any time during the presentation. I'll answer your questions live. And since I'm an attorney, I have to provide a quick disclaimer. Uh, this event does not create an attorney-client relationship. Uh, it's intended for general informational purposes only. And if you have specific questions about the webinar or any of the, the topics, please um, get it independently verified from myself, another member of the team, or another attorney. So let's get into the topic for today. So we, we get a lot of clients that ask us that, uh, you know, we have a company based in the UK, Europe, India, South America. Can we and how do we create a branch of our, of our company in the United States? So it's absolutely possible to do it. Uh, we, we do it all the time. There are some limitations. So for today's topic, we're only going to cover the LLCs and C-Corps um, as foreign citizens may not be an owner in an S-Corp. And so there are some limitations there. And so we're only going to cover the LLCs and C-Corps. And in the United States, U.S. companies are authorized by each state, not by the federal government. So when we talk about a C-Corp, it's managed by a board. They essentially make major decisions. The owners are called shareholders. There can be multiple classes of stock. And there are essentially two levels of taxation. The corporation pays tax on its income. And the shareholders also pay tax on their dividends once they receive that as a, as a shareholder. And so that's essentially called double taxation. You may have heard that term. The LLC, on the other hand, uh, they have a very 
flexible management and equity structure. Um, there, there's no requirement to have a board, but certainly you can have a board there. Uh, there's no double taxation, but certainly um, it's passed through taxation, but passed through has its own challenges. LLCs are taxed as partnerships, so they're not taxed at the entity level, but just at the owner's level. So you pay your tax on a share of the company's profits, even if you don't receive dividends or income from the company. So, and a quick note here, a practical point, corporations might be beneficial with respect to taxes in other countries where LLCs perhaps don't have that advantage. So tax treaties with the US and other countries that might be beneficial for you to establish a corporation, even though from a management perspective, you may have chosen an LLC. And we talked about a little bit of the differences. The big similarity here is the liability protection. The general rule is that the owners are not personally liable for business obligations of either the LLC or the corporations. So now we have obviously a, a foreign company that wants to own this US LLC or corporation. And it's absolutely possible to do that for either one, as I mentioned. So if you form an LLC, the managing member, as it's termed, who would be the uh, entity or individual that's running the operations of the LLC, uh, would, could be that uh, parent company or the foreign company. If you choose to form a corporation, uh, the owners are called shareholders. Your foreign company can own 100% of the shares of that U.S. corporation, thereby creating that parent-subsidiary relationship. And now we're going to discuss some of the immigration aspects of it. It's not uh, it's heavy, it's not heavily tailored towards immigration, but certainly there are some topics that are relevant here. But regardless of the immigration status, the U.S. will allow foreigners to form a company as long as they have registered for a taxpayer identification number. It's called an ITIN number. Now keep in mind, this takes a long time. It takes up to about 18 weeks um, to get that. So, um, and I'll explain why we need it later on in our conversation. So going back to some of the requirements for uh, the LLCs and the corporations, um, this is again determined by each state. And, um, and of course, the, the business structure. So the corporation, um, there's a requirement to hold initial and annual director and shareholder meetings, record meeting minutes, adopt and maintain bylaws, issue stock, record stock transfers. It's quite a bit of maintenance. In the LLC, there's, there's much less. Um, there's not as many requirements. Um, there's essentially uh, just an annual, perhaps, reporting requirement to the state, depending on what state your uh, company is registered in. Now, um, again, at, at, we're, we're talking about the state level here. So if you're looking to expand your business in the U.S. after, after your home state where you've incorporated, uh, you essentially need to select a state for your company's home. And this is important because the laws of that state will determine the business affairs of your company. It's called the Internal Affairs Doctrine, and that covers corporate governance, fiduciary duties, appointment and election of directors, that type of thing. So now um, everyone's heard that Delaware is, uh, is a great place to incorporate, and uh, I'll, I'll go through the reasons why, but by no means is uh, Delaware uh, something that we you know, push for or anything like that. It's just essentially that for larger entities that have 
uh, certain requirements or are potentially open to multiple lawsuits. Delaware is business friendly because of their modernized corporate law and specialized court system that handles those business disputes. So the larger companies generally um, derive more benefit from that incorporating in Delaware. Again, as I mentioned, if litigation is, is there, VCs prefer to invest in companies that are incorporated in Delaware because they're familiar with the state's laws and court system. It's difficult for a VC to invest in an LLC. A lot of times they'll tell our clients to convert from an LLC to a C-Corp if that's the case. Um, and, and again, uh, Delaware is, a, is, is uh, very known to VCs. And so if that's something you're considering and when you're attempting to scale, consider Delaware in that situation. But you know, Nevada, Wyoming, there are other states as well that certainly uh, support that, that same structure. Um, and, and one other aspect of Delaware, which is, uh, which is relatively important to note, is that there's anonymity when it comes to the disclosure of the names of the officers and directors when incorporating. So there's only a requirement to provide the name of the registered agent. And I'll explain what the registered agent is shortly. Um, and as I mentioned, South Dakota, Nevada, Wyoming, they have lower incorporation fees, fewer taxes, faster incorporation times, and other benefits. But again, um, it, it really depends for each individual entity of where you want to um, incorporate your business. And so let's say, for example, Nevada is your home state that you choose to incorporate in. If you end up having operations in Texas, Texas requires and other states similarly require that a business needs to apply for a foreign qualification when they conduct a business outside of their state of incorporation, which is called the home state. So essentially that could mean uh, transacting business above a certain dollar amount, hiring an employee, buying property, opening a, a brick and mortar or another facility, uh, offering services, selling products, uh, or a professional license. So considering all of those points, keep in mind that if you're going to incorporate in, in Nevada because of a particular reason, consider that if you're expanding operations and you have no ties to Nevada, then maybe it's not the right one for you. Um, but there, there's a caveat here that if your activity in a state is limited to conducting e-commerce there, you're generally not required to register as a, as a foreign um, entity there. But again, it's a case by case and we can certainly talk, th talk through that with you. Um, businesses that uh, incorporate outside of their home state um, essentially have both annual compliance requirements in the uh, home state and the additional states as well. So for smaller mid-sized companies, it's advantageous to, to stick in the state where you're actually doing the business. For the larger companies, uh, it just really depends uh, on uh, what the what those other factors are. Um, and the, the processing time of actually setting up an entity uh, varies from state to state. There could be a, a next day turnaround for an expedited fee, and then the general, uh, it generally takes about two weeks for the, for the standard fee. And I mentioned a registered agent earlier, and the role of the registered agent is essentially, uh, they, they're required to be in the state where you incorporate, and their role is essentially to accept official mailings and service for that entity. So that's why in, uh, you know, in, in all the states where our CHUG offices are, we provide that service for registered agents. 
And where we don't have an office, let's say Delaware, um, we, we contract with other entities um, that only provide the registered agent services. And now the other big thing is opening a bank account in the US. So as I mentioned, there's, a, um, there's the articles of incorporation that are provided by the Secretary of State generally. Um, once you provide the information of the, when you're talking about an LLC, the members and then the registered agent, and uh, similarly in a corporation, if you're talking about the shareholders or directors and uh, the registered agent as well, the, the Secretary of State provides the articles of incorporation. So that's the first thing you need for the bank account. Second is the internal governance document for an LLC. It's an operating agreement that essentially uh, outlines who the members are, what their um, capital infusion is in the entity, and similarly, bylaws do the do a similar um, you know review for the for C corps. And third, you need an EIN. So to get an EIN, you need that ITIN, that um, individual taxpayer identification number. The EIN is the employer identification number. So that's essentially the the unique identifier for uh, that the IRS provides to each company, and that. Uh, is required along with those other two items to open a bank account. So I always mention to clients that if you have a relationship with a larger bank overseas, whichever one it is, try to see if you can set up uh, a meeting or an account with the with through that bank first before trying to come here and and um, you know navigate that space. Um, it's uh, it, it's essential to have a business bank account versus an, a personal and individual bank account because the LLC or the C-Corp is its own separate legal entity. So please make sure to delineate those two things and not commingle any funds back and forth. If there's a loan required or any uh, capital infusion, there are certain documents that are required and, and you know we can support you through drafting all of those. So we get, we get questions um, related to um, participating in a U.S. business if, if the individual is not a U.S. citizen. So there's no restriction on foreign ownership of a company formed in the United States. The procedure for a foreign citizen to form a company in the U.S. is the same for the U.S. resident. It's not necessary for to be a U.S. citizen or to have a green card to own a corporation or an LLC. Now, working for that corporation or LLC is a different question. You need, a, you need a proper documentation, you need a proper visa um, to be an active director, shareholder, member in that uh, entity. So uh, being a director or a shareholder of the U.S. corporation is allowed without a visa, but being an officer and performing your duties within the boundaries of the United States is generally not allowed. So working for your corporation or LLC within the U.S. without a valid work visa is not allowed and you're subject to penalties and, and fines and that type of thing. And, and a lot of times our clients ask, all right, well, I have a company set up and I need a, an executive or manager to go there, set up an office. And how do we get them there? How do they stay for an extended period of time? So you might be familiar with the L1 visa. Essentially, that facilitates the transfer of professionals working for a company in, in the foreign country to the same company in the US. It's known as an intercompany transferee since they already work for that foreign entity. So there's an L1A that applies to executives or managers, 
and they can essentially make decisions or control the work of others without minimal super with minimal supervision. And there's L1B, which is a uh, another worker uh, that specializes that has specialized knowledge of the organization's processes or special knowledge of the organization's products, services, equipment, and that type of thing. And um, the, the other big question that we get is, what's the difference? And, and, and prior to that, I guess, um, how do we hire an employee? And is it okay to hire an independent contractor? What's the difference? Can we do that without any penalty? Can our company uh, you know, scale that way? So it, it's, it's certainly permissible to, to hire employees. And the difference essentially between the employee and the independent contractor is that the employee is, uh, is, a, uh, is an at-will employee, which means that they can be uh, fired for any reason or no reason at all, as long as it's not a discriminatory reason. And the employer withholds their income tax, Social Security, Medicare. They potentially receive benefits, time off, 401k, that type of thing. With the independent contractor, the employer does not withhold taxes. And there are certain factors that we need to determine whether the worker is a, indeed a, an employee or an independent contractor. So now, does the company have control or the right to control the worker and how they do their job? Um, can the company control the business aspects of the job, such as pay, expense reimbursement, tools, supplies, training? Um, does the worker get benefits? Is there an ongoing relationship? Um, the, the example that I always provide is, let's say you have a leak in your, uh, in your sink at home. You call the plumber. The plumber comes and says um, that they'll fix it for you. You call them up. They say, come fix it. Uh, essentially, the plumber comes in with all their tools, all their materials, all of their training on, all of their experience. You just have to provide them the payment. So the, the theory of an independent contractor is essentially that they come for a temporary purpose for a specialized need. And so when we're looking at state laws to determine these factors between an employee and independent contractor, I, I, I assure that my clients tread carefully in this because there's always an, an, uh, a penalty that's associated if they're misclassified. And the misclassification occurs when there's a, a dispute with the worker and the, and the employer or the, the company. Um, and I, I see a couple of questions here. I'm just going to run through them quickly. Great. Yeah. So uh, this question relates to um, if I incorporate my business in Georgia, will I have to pay certain taxes in other states? So uh, it depends, right? Um, it depends on what type of entity you set up. Um, if it's an LLC, there's no uh, entity level tax, um, but there are certain uh, ongoing filing requirements and fees and, and payment that's required to the Secretary of State. If it's a C-Corp and you are registered in Georgia, and then if you have a foreign qualification in a different state, then you certainly would have to pay the taxes in each of the states where you conduct business. And then again, at the personal level for when you take distributions as a shareholder. Um, this other one here. 
Right. So um, why do VCs prefer Delaware? Um, as I previously mentioned, VCs uh, understand that the anonymity is, um, is paramount when um, investing in these companies. And so I've found that they like the, the anonymity for one. Number two, they uh, understand that the Delaware court system, they have specialized business courts that allow for um, swift resolution of um, certain disputes. And, uh, you know, I guess they're considered, Delaware's considered more corporate friendly, friendly in that sense, where they're allowed to um, conduct business freely. And, um, uh, the, you know, it's generally in terms of taxation as well. Uh, the C-Corp, as I mentioned, the, uh, the shares are freely transferable in a C-Corp. Um, and so whether that's Delaware or elsewhere, the VCs appreciate that the, the C-Corp can essentially be a perpetual entity, meaning that even if the shareholders, um, there's a success, if there's no succession plan in place, uh, even if the shareholders pass away, the shares can still be transferred to uh, another person and the corporation is still in existence. Whereas an LLC, if you, if you have a single member LLC and that individual um, passes away, there could be a potential for that business to go under unless we you know, um, plan it accordingly. So it's important to identify um, uh, which uh, entity and where, and uh, certainly with the, with the VCs, they have a they have a, a a a good opinion on where where they want to incorporate and what they want to do in terms of such planning. Um, I don't think we have any other questions. If we do, I'll just pause for just a moment. All right. Well. Um, in that sense, um, you know, uh, really appreciate everyone who joined. Um, if you have any specific questions about anything that we discussed today, uh, please. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our work, please visit our websites at www.chook.com for legal and immigration and www.chook.net for tax. Be sure to subscribe to get regular business insights from the Chug LLP team.